church yesterday and I said, well, it's nice to see somebody because yeah, it's going uh, to get lonely in your, my office and then not having church a, a, a week ago. Um, I miss you all and uh, I don't know whether you miss me or not, but I sure miss you. Glad you're here. You braved the elements and uh, I think uh, it's about minus two at our place this morning, but it looks like we're on the upward, upward uh, way. New heights we're gaining every day. And uh, I'm excited about that, except for I'm sh I know that uh, uh, I'm smart enough to figure it out. Spring's not here yet, uh, but I wish that it was. But anyway, we're here. Amen? And thank God for a warm place. It's, it's, uh, it's funny, not funny, but uh, uh, Don called me uh, the other day. How's the church doing? He's still concerned about how warm it is and is everything working. And I said, man, it's just toasty in there, Don. It's great. He was so happy about that. And we sure have missed him. He's going through his... Um, Rehab. Let's pray that God will continue to help him as he rehabs. But anyways, we have a nice place to worship. Amen. And uh, we have and and, I, and we have homes that are warm. I'm, I'm assuming most of us, I think, all here. And I'm thankful for those things. And we need to give God glory. Amen. And praise for taking care of us in these very extreme elements. And I'm very thankful for that. As we begin this morning, I just want to um, give you a reminder of a few announcements. Uh, first, we're still in the, the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Tonight, we'll continue to talk on prayer at 6 p.m. Of course, this weekend is a prayer revival, Friday, Saturday, and, and uh, twice on Sunday. Now, 
Uh, Chris Cravens will be here next week. He will be preaching to us. He'll be addressing the conference um, and uh, giving us an update on conference news. He'll also be preaching uh, on Sunday morning, so we're looking forward to that kind of culminating um, the prayer uh, revival weekend. Of course, it will, it will culminate Sunday night with prayer around the world. So next Sunday night, all of the Bible Methodist connectional churches, and not only in the United States, but worldwide, will be joining together um, in, in a, um, in all, with all of us praying. And so I'm looking forward to that. We will, we will, um, that will be the end of the 21 days of prayer and fasting. doesn't mean you don't, you can still do that, but I just want to uh, remind you of that this weekend. Those services are 7 p.m., uh, Friday night, Saturday night, and then, of course, our regular Sunday services. Pray you'll come and be a part of that. It won't be a long time, but it'll be a time, obviously, of just of, of concentration on prayer uh, for the new year uh, for our church, uh, for our families, for our homes, um, for so many things. It's vital to our, our spiritual life, so we're looking forward to that. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and in a moment we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. And then... Um, we have our revival, our discipleship uh, in the home weekend, not necessarily revival, but uh, uh, a concentration on the home, and uh, I, I just encourage you to be a part of this, um, this weekend revival uh, with Dr. Matt Friedemann. Dr. Friedemann is, um, is a, uh, a professor at Wesley Biblical Seminary, I've taken his classes. And uh, I'm not sure that I've heard anybody that is as, um, in, in, our, in our circles, as up-to-date on what's going on with the home, the family, uh, the, the values of the home. Um, I'm appreciative of what he, his study and his work in that area. And also, uh, the example he has set with six children that are in, in full-time ministry and are all serving God. I think one of them may be here in Indianapolis area, so I'll, I'm assuming he'll, he's from Mississippi, so I'm assuming he'll be happy to be with that one. I know last I looked, one of his kids was here in the, um, in the area. So I'm looking forward to that weekend. Uh, just make sure you, you mark it on your calendar, and uh, you're, I don't care where you're at with your family, as you're raising, you know, you're raising children pr uh, right now or uh, being part of the process of helping to raise your grandchildren. Uh, that's as vital, vitally important as raising children. And so, um, of course, you're not the one primarily doing that, but you're praying, you're supporting, you're helping. And so, this is an important weekend, so I want to remind you of that. February um, also has the lift meeting on February the 15th, and so I want to remind you of that also. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> Giving Sunday's coming up. We announced that a couple weeks ago. And uh, I want to remind you to be praying uh, that God will give you direction and leadership on what he wants you to do as we raise this $35,000 for our air conditioning system here and uh, to fix the hallway and the women's bathroom. So that's coming up, I think, on, the, on February the 18th. Um, and so we're looking forward to that also. So a lot of things happening in the future. Be praying that God will, um, will bless that. I want you to watch a video, just about a four-minute video, by Dr. Christopher Gazora, I guess is his name. Um, and he, he addresses the issue, is a fetus a person? This is from Focus on the Family. And, of course, it's a human rights issue. And so uh, we're going to take time now to just sit back and watch this video. I hope you can find 
find something in this that will help you um, to be, again, be solidified in, in, in what you believe when it comes uh, to human rights, obviously, to, to the rights of, of unborn children, um, so that you, know, you, you can be a witness. And that's what this is all about to those and have a little bit of education when it comes to this idea of human rights. Some people say that abortion is permissible because a preborn child or fetus is not a person. So let's ask the question, what is a person? In everyday conversation, we use the terms person and human being to mean the same thing. I'm a person, you're a person, your parents are persons. Children, yours or somebody else's are persons. Your dog, your dog might have a lot of personality, but your dog is not a person. Your car or computer, definitely not persons. But the terms human being and person do belong to different categories. Human being is mainly a biological term, whereas person is mainly a moral term, referring to an individual's value or rights. Now, it's simply a scientific fact that pre-born children are human beings. Every prenatal human being is an individual member of a species Homo sapiens. From the moment when the sperm fertilizes the egg, the pre-born child has his or her own unique genetic identity. The question then arises, do all human beings deserve basic human rights? Are all human beings persons? Or do only some human beings, those similar to us, have value and worth? Every time in human history that we have said that a certain group of human beings are not persons, it's resulted in a horrible tragedy. Think of the slavery of Africans, or the Holocaust of Jewish people, or the oppression of women. All of these human rights abuses came from denying a group of human beings their personhood. So, let's look at the differences between persons like you and me and prenatal human beings. We can easily remember all these differences by the acronym SLED. Size, level of development, environment, and dependency. First, size. Some abortion advocates will say that prenatal human beings are not persons because they're so small, about the size of a dot on a page, and less than a couple inches long in the first trimester. But obviously, size is irrelevant for an individual's value. Each one of us is tiny in comparison to a huge boulder, but we are much more valuable. Is a newborn baby less valuable than a huge football player? If you were zapped with a shrinking ray that made you two inches tall, would you no longer be a person? What about level of development? Some say that persons must have developed a certain level of rationality or capability of thought. Fetuses are not persons, they say, because they lack rationality, and so it's okay to abort them. If this were true, we would have to deny personhood to infants, since they can't mentally outperform animals like dogs or cats. Indeed, many full-grown adults have severe mental handicaps, but we do not hold their lack of rationality as grounds for mistreating them. Others might say that persons must have developed the ability to suffer. If fetuses are not able to suffer, then it's okay to abort them. Well, is it okay for an adult to be killed painlessly while they sleep? No, of course not. That would be murder. Moreover, rats have the ability to suffer, but no one thinks that rats are persons with equal rights to us. What about environment? Is a preborn child not a person just because it's still in the womb? What's the magical thing that happens at birth that suddenly bestows personhood on the baby? It's hard to believe that killing immediately before birth is morally fine, but killing immediately after birth is morally monstrous. 
For this reason, some defenders of abortion also defend killing babies after birth. They defend infanticide. Lastly, dependency. Some say personhood happens at viability, when the fetus can live independently from the woman's body. But a newborn infant is also completely dependent on adults to survive. Moreover, ever-changing technology causes the line of viability to move closer and closer to conception. So dependency is arbitrary as well. In conclusion, to say all human beings are persons is to promote human equality and inclusivity and to ensure that no human being, born or unborn, is ever deprived of their intrinsic dignity and their basic human rights. Well, I think you would say, well, we understand that, Pastor. We're, we're aware of that, and uh, I would agree, but I think it's also good for us to be reminded, and that's what this Sunday is all about, Sanctity of Life Sunday, is to be reminded of the value of, hum, of human life and um, how, how important it is, um, obviously, to um, we as Christians, we that, that, that understand God's word and live by it, uh, must not ever get to the point where we think that this this uh, infanticide is something that is accepted norm within our culture because it's not, folks, and we must be reminded of that. I want to get just a few moments, another article um, from folks on the family on abortion ethics, and the question is raised, is it ever okay? And you would think that, you know, somehow because of, and I think 2022, the landmark decision, um, again, that abortion is, is not constitutional, and so this was, was sent back to the states, and the states are now making their own individual decisions on how they perceive um, abortion to be. It's still obviously not a settled issue. And the debate on the ethics of abortion rages as hot as ever. Um, it is deeply um, consequential. It's a very deeply consequential issue. So I think asking serious questions about the ethics of abortion is something every citizen must examine because the nature of what is growing in the womb is a very fundamental human question. Of course, it's, it's interesting as we talk on this, uh, this Sunday, our own youth pastor and his wife can't be here today because she's so near to uh, 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 delivery of her child. Um, I gave her them a hard time. She said no questions, so I had to ask those questions. If you saw my post back to her, you know, why, what's going on? And then I heard castor oil works. But anyway, she didn't think that was too funny. The ethics of abortion really come down to four fundamental questions. What is abortion? Does it end an innocent human life? Is it good for women? And is it ever justified? Um, of course, abortion is the act of ending life growing in a woman's womb, either by chemical or sur surgical intervention. Um, and again, are they human? I think that's already been answered. It's very obvious that these, um, uh, these fetuses... Um, within, the, within the womb are human beings. And uh, my wife is taking care of a, a little lady uh, used to uh, that uh, she wouldn't name it, wouldn't want to say baby, uh, you want to say fetus, because that kind of makes them feel better. But the fact of the matter is, as I've read this article, now it's getting to the point where they're not making any, any excuses for it, they're just calling it murder. And that somehow that murder is okay when it comes to these unborn um, children. In fact, there's uh, this Dr. Carhart. I've only thought of Carhart as something you wear, but he said um, he was an abortion doctor and a BBC reporter was, was asking him some questions about it. 
and he, and, and, uh, he said, um, the baby has no input in this as far as I'm concerned when it comes to abortion, uh, as they were sitting in a procedure room together. And the BBC reporter was very shocked and surprised by his response. He said, it's interesting that you use the word baby because a lot of abortions won't use, abortionists won't use that. They use the word fetus because they don't want to acknowledge that there's life. And Dr. Carhart said, I use them synonymously. I think that it is a baby, and I use it um, with our patients. And, and then the, the reporter asked Dr. Carhart bluntly, and you don't have a problem with killing a baby? Which he, inter he interrupted her, answering, absolutely not. I have no problem if it is in the mother's uterus. And he, was, he is not alone in our day with, that, with that, that theory and the thought that somehow as long as it's in the mother's uterus, it's not abortion, it's not killing, it's not murder, and it's, it's okay. Uh, one abortionist said, advocate said, the distinction between making fetuses killable and making it easy and stigma-free for people to take the decision to kill a fetus, she's, they said it's very um, significant. The other question that needs to be answered, is it good for women? When it comes to the wonder of a woman's beautiful gift of fertility, that which only she can do, it is natural for her to give birth to that child. Um, everything in the profound intricacy of the feminine body begins towards the miraculous conclusion um, of, of having that baby. Abortion is a sudden, it's a drastic interpretation, interruption, I'm sorry, of nature's process. Consequently, this has a measurable impact on the mental health um, of women. Dr. Christina Francis, when she was, I, I believe she was addressing Congress in 2022, said, pregnancy is not a disease and elective abortion is not health care. As such, elective abortion carries no maternal benefit at all. She went on to say, as demonstrated by hundreds of studies over nearly five decades, abortive procedures carry several um, effects for women including risk of preterm birth and mental um, health problems. There was an ethical study done, I think, in the United States of America, um, talking about what happens to, to women after having abortion. He said anxiety disorders increased by 34%, depression increased by 37%, alcohol abuse increased by more than 100%, suicidal behaviors increased by more than 100%, marijuana use increased more than 200%. In another study, 61% increase in mood disorders, 61% increase in social phobia, 59% increase in suicidal um, ideation, 261% increase in alcohol abuse, 142% increase in alcohol dependency, 313% increase in drug abuse, 287 uh, increase in the drug dependency, and 280% increase in any substance use um, disorder. So rather than solving a problem and relieving difficulty, abortion tends to create new problems, obviously, with, with the mother. Um, and then they go on to talk about when, it, when is the mother's life at, at, at stake. And due to remarkable medical advances, abortions truly necessary to save the life of the mother are literally ex essentially non-existent. Doctors, in fact, Rhonda could speak to this even more than I could. I, I thought, man, I should have, she's not, wouldn't be, she'd have been mad at me if I would have asked her at the last second to do this. But I thought, we have one right here with us that has been doing it for, what, close to 30 years, I think, or more. 
and knows exactly that um, the, the life of the mother are essentially non-existence, like non-existent. Doctors who care for women on both sides of the abortion debate have affirmed the fact um, over many decades. On the pro-abortion side, uh, Alan uh, Gutmacher, a foundational leader for Planned Parenthood, wrote in his book in 1967, he said, Today, it is, it is possible for almost any patient to be brought through pregnancy alive unless she suffers from a fatal illness such as cancer or leukemia. And if so, abortion will be unlikely to prolong, much less save that life. Member C. Everett Koop, uh, back in the 80s, he, um, he was our Surgeon General, and he said, protection of the life of the mother as an excuse for an abortion is a smokescreen. In my 36 years in pediatric surgery, I have never known of one instance where the child had to be aborted to save the mother's life. So is it okay? Obviously, the conclusion is it's ethically wrong. It is the deliberate ending of an innocent human life. It is not medically necessary, and it harms women. As Dr. Christina Francis explained to the U.S. Congress in 2022, abortion exists. Listen, this is, this is where it's at. Abortion exists to solve a social problem, not a medical one. And so today, as we across America, there's a, a march, um, I believe, today sometime, or at least it was yesterday in Washington, D.C. Somebody asked the current president, um, what his response to it was, what was his response to those people? He said, he said, March. Um, that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful, uh, thoughtful comment from uh, a man who um, was at one time against abortion, but his politics changed over his lifetime. And, um, and so now he, he, quote, has a different uh, response to that. Um, I'm thankful that that we um, as Christians stand for human rights, not only in the lives of, of little unborn children, but across the spectrum of humanity. And uh, that's because of who we serve. Amen. We serve a God who values people and, and values life. And so I think it's wise for us to, today to be reminded of these very, very important facts. And may God help us to stand for truth, continue to do that in our public squares, and, and to, to be, inf be informed as we stand uh, for those um, very, very important values in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning that we can come to a God who, who breathed life into us, who created us, who not only created us, breathed life into us, but cares for us, gives us, Lord, the basic needs of life, in fact, goes beyond that in many ways, um, that we, we enjoy and we're thankful for this morning. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for human life. We thank you, dear Lord, for the value you place on each one of us as your children, but not only as your children, but as those you've created. Lord, we're reminded this morning you love everyone, even those that perform abortions. You love, you love them and want them to come to know you as their, as their personal Savior, but they've turned their back on you, Father. You hate their deeds, and we understand that, but love those individuals and want them to come to find Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to work in this country that we live in. Pray, O oh God, that you'll help the state of Indiana to, to 
remain faithful, Lord, to uh, um, Judeo-Christian values when it comes to abortion. We pray, dear Father, that you'll continue to work in this nation and may abortions be totally done away with in this country for once and for all. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand with me this morning, if you will. James says in chapter 1 and verse 17, reflecting here, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. As this song is this morning, He is the fount of the greatest blessings. Our children, our family, all that we have is from Him. So tune our hearts. We invite His presence to us, for He is worthy for all He has done, for His wonderful blessings. We exalt Him this morning. Sing with me and let's worship together. Come the fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of God's praise. Teach me
reminded how fragile life is. I think of uh, the accident that happened on the hilltop or somewhere near it this weekend, and uh, uh, one of the shirk, the shirk boy, uh, I think it's Daniel, uh, went into a, uh, he sings in one of the quartets there at God's Bible School, was sledding, had a sledding accident, and uh, looks like possibly he had uh, his vertebrae were, were crushed in his neck, I think, and back, and may not be able to walk. Uh, they had, he had surgery last night, emergency surgery, and uh, he had some uh, steel plates or, uh, put into his neck. But, uh, you know, young man, probably 19, 20 years old, and uh, he had surgery. So let's be praying for the Shirk family. Uh, they've been part of the Alabama Bible Methodist um, down there for many years. I'm not sure if they're still down there, where they're at exactly, but I know that he was a, a vital part of the uh, Christmas program this year. If you saw the Christmas program, Daniel was part of that. And uh, so let's be praying for that family and praying for him, praying for one another. Continue to pray for Don as he recovers. There's many that are gone. I know the Toms are out of town. Let's pray for them. And um, let's see, Lennon Lynn and Scott are at, a, at um, one of, I think, their nephews being baptized today, so they're being a part of that. Let us know that. There's others that aren't here. And uh, let's remember each one of those. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come to you. We know you care. We know you're concerned. And we praise you for that. You understand, Lord, humanity. Lord, you understand what's going on in this world that we live in. Lord, you, you're, you're a sovereign God. And so we're always reminded of that. Lord, we don't understand. We, we don't have infinite knowledge. But we know we can come to one that has that infinite knowledge this morning, and it's you. Not only do you have infinite knowledge, you're the great physician, you're the great healer. You understand, dear Lord, our, our makeup. You created us. You breathe life into us. And so, Lord, we're thankful this morning that you care. You're concerned for every need, every need that's represented here, every individual, Lord, that is not only here, but those around us, our neighbors, our family, our friends. Lord, you understand, oh God, the... Uh, that, that they need, uh, if they don't know you, they need, dear Lord, to be aware, dear Father, of their mortality, being aware, dear Lord, of the fact that, that we are all going to face the great judgment seat of Christ, of God one day. And Lord, we have this life to prepare for that. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be a witness to those around us of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and giving them hope, dear Lord, in it, when it seems like that all, all around us is sinking sand and it seems hopeless. We're glad, Lord, there's hope found in Christ this morning. And we have that. And so, Lord, I pray today that you'll give us, dear Lord, the courage and the strength to reach out with love and grace to those around us, reminding them, dear Lord, of their need of finding Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, Lord, as they face um, eternity, all of us, one day. We pray, dear Lord, for Daniel this morning. Uh, sure, you know all about the accident. And, Lord, you're able to come and heal this young man, and, and, and may he have mobility in his legs. Lord, you know that the prognosis doesn't look good, but we know, Father, that you're a miracle-working God this morning, and there's thousands of people across this country that are praying for this young man this morning. I pray, oh God, that you'll just reach down to the hospital room, and you'll be there near to the family in a special way. Uh, Don and Melinda, dear Lord, as they oversee their son's uh, recovery, and their Lord, especially with Daniel today, Father, as I'm sure there's um, a deep discouragement, dear Lord, today. And I pray, oh God, that you'll just be there to comfort them. 
We pray, dear Lord, for the other needs that we are represented in our church, those that are not here this morning, those with illness. I pray for Don as he continues to recover. Dear Lord, we pray you'll give him grace and strength. He endure us in a very special way this morning. You know the other needs that are, that, that are before us. I think, dear Lord, of Courtney and Travis today and preparing, dear Lord, to have this little one. I pray, oh God, that you'll just be with her in a special way, I believe, as they induce labor this week. Pray, oh God, that you'll just come and give uh, her an easy delivery of this new baby, this new child. Be with them in a very special way today. Dear Lord, bless dear God in all that we do this morning that will honor and glorify you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Maybe see.
kids beautiful and good reminder that we're not our own we were bought with a price but we also created in the image of Christ of God amen and we are um, we are, should be reminded of that and this 
special Sunday uh, of 2024, Right to Life Sunday. Thank you. Take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 uh, for a moment. <clears throat> had this sermon in, in the archives for a while now, prepared a few weeks ago, and I'm glad I'm going to be able to, sh- to share it with you. As uh, we progress here into the new year, um, I want to do a series on, on worship, and uh, I'll be doing that in, in February now. Uh, again, we have uh, Chris Cravens coming next week, and then there'll be a week in between um, uh, the weekend meeting with Dr. M- uh, Matt Friedemann, and so I won't be starting that until then. And so, um, but this was something that I prepared for the second week of January as an encouragement um, to us. By the way, I wanted to say Rhonda doesn't get mad. All right, you ever seen Rhonda mad? I, I thought about that. I said you know, some things you say that was just kind of you, you know uh, being funny there a little bit, but she didn't get mad, and she wouldn't have got mad at me. I know better than that. Anyway, but I, uh, I thought, well, it's the, it's the uh, beginning of a new year, and one of the most familiar passages that many guys, pastors, preachers talk on is, is Hebrews 12 uh, when it comes to a new year. And um, so let's look at it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Of course, as we begin the new year, we began it with prayer, and we put our focus on that, and I pray that you're continually to do that. I think part of the difficulty I think that some of us have is the fasting process, um, is uh, trying not to break uh, a fast. I don't know what yours might be and what, you've, um, what the Lord has told you to do as you prepare for this new year. Probably part of that, is, part of that uh, fasting process is one of the more difficult maybe things to keep. But I like the, this, the beginning of the focus on prayer and, and, and of reading God's word. I pray that all of you have found a, a suitable plan for your Bible reading this year, whether it's something you've done um, in the past. Some, some of love, my utmost for the uh, highest. Um, many of you probably have used that for many years, and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful uh, devotional book by Oswald Chambers. And there's many out there, great stuff. Uh, that is um, in our fingertips. Uh, Uversion, again, is a, is a uh, great software that you can download onto your phone or your, your iPad, and you can follow through a Bible reading program uh, yearly, chronologically, and uh, I'm just encouraging you to find that plan if you haven't already, and discipline yourself in, in listening uh, to it. You can do it. You can listen to it. You can read it. But I really encourage you to do that. Um, how many have found that when you've been through a plan, you don't need to raise your hand, um, have been through a, a, a year reading plan of the Bible, that at, at the end you come out and you go, man, you, know, you want to tell somebody you did it. You, you know, I, I accomplished that. And some of you have accomplished it many times over, I know. Uh, and uh, it is, I, I've, I've done, obviously done it more than one time, read the scripture through, uh, uh, annually, a yearly uh, scripture reading process. In fact, I'm chronologically doing it again this year. Um, I have had different types of 
devotional plans that I've been a part of. But I just encourage you to do that because it begins a, a, it begins a, um, a pattern, literally can be, I hope it's muscle memory to you, something that you just constantly um, are going back to and beginning in, in the new year um, obviously is important to us. But we're here, obviously uh, the year has begun. Um, I think we're going to see new challenges this year. Um, once again, I don't want to remind you of this, but here we go. It's election year in the United States of America, and um, the, the, the political landscape is going to be quite, uh, it's, it's going to dominate our, our, our news, okay, frankly, um, across the country. And so that's going to be a part of this year. There's going to be challenges in your life. I don't know what it's bringing to you. Um, the older you get, uh, I, I have no idea what this year is going to hold for us. New experiences maybe and new adventures maybe new relationships. Um, it could bring sorrow into our lives. I hope not. Um, and I, but I pray that it brings many joyous occasions um, that will challenge us all to be people of faith, amen? To be people of greater value and, and have a deeper commitment to God and to his word and to the kingdom of God. I pray that this year you make a conscious effort to make church, obviously, is a very huge priority in, in your lives. It's a place that we come and we gather together and we fellowship with brothers and sisters and we hear the word of God and we, and, and we celebrate his goodness and we worship a God who has been so, so good to us and has given us so many blessings. And so um, that obviously is of, of, of great value uh, to the kingdom. But whatever the case may be, um, we're all on this journey of faith. It's a journey that is leading us to eternity. I'm reminded again of, of, of life as we think about it today, obviously from uh, the perspective of this being uh, a Sanctity of Life Sunday, of how, how fragile it is. And I already mentioned little Daniel, but I, I think also of a, of a cousin of mine that just died uh, the last couple, Scott and our cousin died um, last, last couple of weeks. He was 63 years old and uh, had fought the cancer for 10 years and uh, passed away, and so we'll be laying him to rest on this Friday in Sumner, Illinois, and some of us will be heading there uh, for that memorial service. And um, again, I'm reminded of the brevity of, of life. I'm, I'm reminded that it is a vapor. Um, I'm, you know, going back in, in my history, in my childhood history, and reminding, being, remembering, you know, one special Christmas when our Aunt Becky got us all, us boys, all um, full football outfits with pads and helmets and, uh, and, the, and the pants, and we just thought we were something else. And we all put those on and had two different teams in, in the fellowship hall of our aunt and uncle's uh, church. And I still remember just piling on and tackling and running. And just little guy. I was one of the younger ones, and just little guys. And I uh, was reminded of that recently. My aunt gave us a picture of that. Um, of those that uh, of us us boys, and of course John was a part of that, and now he's he's gone on to be um, with the Lord, and so we don't know what's going to come our way, and I think that we need to run the race that I'm talking about this morning with diligence, um, run it with with endurance, and I think that's what the author's trying to tell us this morning, and run it also with godly patience, and so when I look at this verse and these verses about this race. I, I, I see a, uh, just a couple of things here I'm going to mention. First of all, when you look at this passage, um, we're reminded in the first few verses where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that we, as, as those a people of faith, as we journey this life, 
we have an audience. That's first of all, we have an audience. You know, I, you know, I don't think the sporting events would be quite as entertaining and as fun if there was no audience involved. Go back to the 2020 year when we were going through um, the COVID, uh, going through COVID, and there was no audience that was there to participate with the with the. Um, there's no fan base, nobody there to cheer on people. Um, you know, sporting activities aren't really that fun without anybody watching you, right? And and looking out and saying how good you are. And you can say, you know, look how good I am, right? That's what, that's what it's all about. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a carnal affection about how good I am at what I do, and I want to put it on display. Is that what it's all about? Well, it may be some of it. I hope not. It's also, I think, about healthy competition, enjoying that kind of thing. And, and according to, I remind again, uh, sporting events are just another uh, uh, form of entertainment, obviously. Can you imagine having a sporting event without, without, without an audience? Well, uh, I can't, and I, I'm amazed at audiences and people. I just saw somebody put, I knew it was coming, you, and it should, uh, these people sitting in, in somewhere outside watching one of the football games, probably one of the pro football games, and uh, they had quilts around them, and they were literally sitting there in the bleachers, and they were covered in snow. <laughs> now, uh, Sometimes we struggle just to get out in the snow to come to the house of God. Can you imagine if we had our service this morning outside in the parking lot um, with, a, with a beautiful weather around us, okay, surrounding us with, with minus two degree, and I think it's a little warmer than that right now. But people do it. I mean, they go, why? they're going to go there to cheer on their team, man. They're faithful participants. And these people are rabid. They're crazy. Uh, uh, they're dressed up like, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the paint, people, folks, li listen to me. These are grown men. I want to remind you, okay? They have their faces painted up. They got stuff hanging off of them. I mean, they look, they look half crazy. And they're out there just cheering on their team. It's sub-zero temperatures. There's going to be a, a playoff game this, today in Buffalo, and I saw on the, where it said that they were once again requesting people to come out to the stadium to shovel out the five feet of snow that's in the stadium um, so they can play that football game. And uh, I'm sure uh, Brent knows all about that. I'm surprised he's not there helping to clean out his beloved Bills Stadium. These people are just rabid about their teams. And, uh, and, and so I'm reminded in this passage of this audience because in this race of faith, the author has pictured these um, previous champions of faith that we read about in chapter 11 in the great faith chapter, but I think it was more than just those that he was mentioning in chapter 11, but those across the spectrum of our lives and across eternity, that these people are, are watching down from heaven or cheering us on as we praise, as, as we press on to our ever coming, overcoming present discouragement. And literally, Paul's talking about in, in a sense of an athletic competition. I know that faith is in athletics. Um, but it has some of the same characteristics of this, this enduring um, of, of making it to the end. And sometimes it can be laborious, and sometimes it can be um, a boring, uh, the walk of faith at times. It's not always exciting, and, and we're always cheering, and we're always on the, well, we are on the winning side, but that things aren't always going our way. Amen? We know the end result. Isn't it wonderful to know that as a, as a participant in, in this faith process, okay, in faith, that we are ultimately going to always, are winning and will be the winners. 
Isn't that wonderful? I'm thankful for that this morning. I, I don't know about you, but I like winning. And I like to be on a winning team. It's frustrating when you get a team that's, that, that doesn't win. We go back to our, um, the, the old days of coaching um, these kids at our youth camps. It seemed like that, um, that I always got a team that had never even touched a ball in their whole entire life, okay, until they got to youth camp. And you were just hoping that they were very smart and they had studied for Bible bowl quizzing because you knew you were going to get a lot of points if they were smart. And you were hoping and praying. But typically, <laughs> they weren't that either in my, in my case. And a very frustrated uh, coach coming away, screaming my head off, trying to get these guys to do things that they had never done in their life. Okay, you can do it. <laughs> no, they can't. I mean, the bottom line is they can't. But you think that they can. That's a good coach. <laughs> if I could at least one coach of the year for all the, and, you know, all the effort I put into it, that would have been even, even good. I like to be on the winning team. And I think that everybody here enjoys being on the winning team. I'm glad that, that we know the outcome. We know the end event. So we're, we, we have an audience. The, the ancient Greek word here, um, translated cloud, was a figure of speech, the word cloud. And it indicated a large group of people. In other words, what he's trying to tell us here is that we are being observed by saints of the past who are cheering us on as we fight this good fight of faith. Now, this is, now it's up for debate. How they observe it um, is, is, is unique. The writer indicates these witnesses, which, which may mean that they set an example for us to follow rather than they're watching our conduct and our lives at the present, presently right now. And now I would have a tendency to agree with that idea that they set the course for us okay they're the ones that are out in front of us they have shown us how to live this life of faith rather than they're currently watching us but whatever the case may be as runners in this race of faith we i think that there's three very simple steps um, that we need to follow if we're going to finish strong in this race that we're in first of all the writer seems to indicate that if we're going to win this race, and in any race, you should carry as little weight as possible. Now that I have matured through the eating of great food, I'm not very good at racing anymore. My little skinny legs just can't keep up with this uh, overindulgence of the upper part of my body, okay? The weight is just too much for these little skinny legs that my son-in-laws make fun of um, all of the time. And uh, I'm gracious. I, just, I don't return all the f I, I can make fun of them. They know it. There's so many things. But they, they have such a great father-in-law that doesn't do that. I just laugh along with them and, and, and take it like a man. You know what I mean? Real life. These little skinny legs can't keep up anymore with the, the um, amount of weight that I have gained over the last several years. And so... Uh, running is, is, is really not in, 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 you know, on my list of, of agenda items to do in, in the next uh, uh, few days or whatever. I do try to make it out of the gym when it's warm, when the weather exactly perfect, okay? That's when I go. When it's really cold, I just don't want to go out. I, 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 in fact, I got all dressed up, ready to go to the gym the other day and just said, ah, forget it. I'm not going. It's not worth it. I'd rather be fat. Don't get bogged down with unnecessary weight. 
I, you know, I think, what, can we, what do we consider when we think about weight in this context of our faith, of our, our living our faith? What may be considered weight in this life that we live? I think there's several things that, can, that, that we could consider uh, to be extra weight or carrying weight um, in the life of the Christian or the life of the believer. I think one of those would be pride. Um, it could be vanity, materialism, an out-of-control temper, a, a corrupt imagination, uh, an unholy attachment to anything that can hinder the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. Um, all of those things are things that can weigh the Christian down in this race of faith. Um, and it could be doubt. It could be fear. It could be disgruntlement. It can be cynicism. You know, if you're not careful, you've got to guard against cynicism the older you get because you have a history of seeing all kinds of negative stuff. And if you want to, if you want to concentrate on the negatives, you can do that. If you're, if you're, if you're looking for issues within the body, within the church, and, and, you're, and you're specifically looking for them, you'll find them at Calvary Bible Methodist Church or any other church that you go to for that matter. If that's what you're looking for. If that's what we're looking for. But we're, we're here as, as fellow participants in this ongoing race to make our journey to heaven and to make it there safely and to make it there. Bottom line is just make it to the finish line. Amen? I know some of you say, well, it's, it's just, it is a race of endurance, and I understand that. And this isn't a speed race, but, you know, I'm just happy to make it in. I just, I'm just happy to make it across the goal line. Well, that's okay. I hope you make it in and I hope you make it across the goal line. But I'd like to be a triumph. I'd like to be a winner when I get to the end. You say, well, we're all winners in this, in this race of faith. Again, I understand that concept too. But I, you know, I don't know about you, but I've never liked to be the guy last. I think I made the illustration before a few years ago when I, was, when I went to Peoria and I was a part of, of uh, the, the, the city council and, and, our, and our church and we were, we were working within our inner city there trying to help it. And uh, I was in a part of the, it's called the Weed and Seed Program. Uh, the, 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 the county and the city council put together. And of course, I was a part of not the weed, um, pulling the weeds. That would be from, a, a, uh, from the uh, perspective of the law enforcement. But I was there to seed. I was part of giving and helping these kids uh, to make it and I don't know somehow we got into a into some kind of a, a class and I was a lot younger then but I still wasn't in the shape that I should have been in and we went out and we ran the mile for the first time for some reason on a local track and uh, there was a couple and most of these people were military people and there was me and uh, but yeah I, it was kind of strange I thought well these guys would be in great shape and they run every day and come to find out they didn't but there are a few girls that did. And, um, and it was kind of embarrassing that I ran that mile and I got beat by at least one girl. And I was given everything I got at the end because I thought, I got to beat the girl. You know how that, you just got to beat the girl. And the fact of the matter is, is that girl beat me. And, uh, you know, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of a wake-up call uh, in, in many ways about my manliness and how great a shape that I thought that I was in as, as I got out there. But... Again, in this race, we don't want to lose. We don't want to come in last. You know what? I want to be, a, I want to be an active participant in, this, in, 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 in the life of faith. Amen? I, I want to be doing my very best um, uh, to be a good participant, to be a good 
runner, uh, to be spiritually in shape, amen, and to take it very serious. Um, but there's so many things that will weigh, weigh us down. The writer goes on to talk about this idea of a piece besetting sin. Um, in fact, there's a, there's a Greek word for that, and it, it, in its context, that, that word, it, it, it's, its definition is that it's, that it's something that easily besets us. There's, there's, there's areas in our life that, that, are, that are there that can, that can easily overtake us if we're not alert and we're not careful in our, in our race or in, in this race of faith. In fact, it's, 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 it's translated easily beset in the KJV and the ASV. The NAT and the ESV translated clings so closely. And so this seems to suggest that everyone running this race must guard against sin that they are very susceptible to. In fact, Albert Barnes gives four areas that may be besetting in the life of the Christian. First of all, he says it could be our natural temperament or disposition, which may include pride, levity, discouragement, sensuality, or ambition. Our natural temperament or our natural disposition this could be something that could be a besetting sin in our life. It could also, he goes on to say, it could be pre-Christian indulgences. And that could be intemperance. It could be skepticism. It could be pride and, and, and many other things. These may come back to tempt us even after we've been converted, even after we've been saved. Those things can come back to tempt us and they can be besetting in our life. Albert Barnes went on to say, sins that are ex exposed through our profession or relation to others. In other words, we are tempted to fit in. We're tempted to fit into our culture through prosperity and, and prideful recognition. And he said, we are in danger of losing the simplicity and spirituality of our religion. Another one he said are sins that are exposed from some weaknesses in our character. He said every man has one or more weak points in his character and it is there that he is particularly exposed. He went on to say there is always some weak point which needs especially to be guarded against and our principal danger is in that area. Self-knowledge that is so necessary in leading a holy life. Consistent searching out those weak points of character where, we must, we are, where we're most exposed and our progress in the Christian life will determine much, be determined much by the fidelity with which we guard and strengthen them. We must be on guard as runners in this race of faith against any of these weights and sins that can hinder us from finishing the race strong. That's what he's talking about. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily besets us or which that which clings close to us. In this race of faith, we've got to be on guard. We don't want to be bogged down by these kinds of things. We want to run a, I want to run a clean race, amen? I, I, want to, I want to make it to the end. And, you, you know, it can get, in this kind of weather, you can get discouraged real fast. Anybody with me? In, in this kind of weather... How many just look forward to getting up early in the morning and getting out there and, and having a jog in minus two degree weather? Okay, well, you're not jogging, but just getting in your car, warming up and getting to work on icy, slick roads, and it's still dark, 
and you know, seem like everybody else is sleeping. You just want to be in, that, in your bed with a, with a bunch of blankets on, covered up and staying warm. Are you not with me? Maybe, maybe you're not. I don't know. You've got to guard against that stuff. Amen? You've got to continue to be faithful. And we that we're living in this as, as, as believers must also be careful as we run this, this race of faith. He went on to say, we, we, secondly, um, we should carry as little weight as possible. Secondly, we are to endure the hardships of the race. William Barclay again said, endurance translates the ancient word Greek uh, homophone, which does not mean the, the, the patience which sits down and accepts things, but the patience which masters them. He said it's determination, unhurrying, and yet un, undelaying, which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. And it reminds me of the illustration. How many have heard the illustration of Bill Broadhurst, um, who uh, at one time was a great runner, and he entered into a, a long-distance race, a 10K race in Omaha, w- which was a race that, and I remember uh, this name, it may have been early in the 70s, somewhere in that time. Um, his name was um, Bill Rogers. Some of you older ones know Bill Rogers. And, and Bill entered, obviously, in, the, in this 10K race, and he won the race in less than 30 minutes. But uh, Bill Broadhurst had, um, had been handicapped. He was paralyzed on his entire left side from an aneurysm earlier in his life. But he loved to run. And for him to be in the same race as his hero, Bill Rogers, it was the greatest thing that he could imagine. And so he entered into the race. And after hours of running, um, the banners had been taken down. Um, the traffic had begun to flow on the roads that he was still running on. There was um, nothing left in that race that would tell them that there had even been a race. Except there was one man. His name was William Broad, or Bill Broadhurst. who was still running it. And he was into the second hour of the race. Um, Bill Rogers had finished a, a, a two hours ago, and, or an hour and 30 minutes ago. And now Broadhurst was nearing the, uh, the finish line. And as he was running, there was a couple of kids who were riding bikes. And they rode beside him, and they began to yell at him. He said, hey, mister, are you still running the race? It's been over for hours. Someone's already finished the race, and they've won. Now, why don't you just quit? You, they, you know, the race is over. And Broadhurst replied back to him. He said, I, I, I can't. He said, I'm not going to stop. He said, I have to make it to the, to the end of the line um, because my hero, um, Bill Rogers, is there to greet me. And he kept on running. Story says that as he approached the place where he knew the finish line would be, um, Bill Rogers and about 30 people stepped out from an alley and they placed up a banner, and they strung a, a, that banner across the road. And Bill Broadhurst came in. He finished um, um, across the finish line. And when he got there, there stood Bill, uh, Bill Rogers, who took off his ribbon that he had won from around his neck, and he placed it around the neck of Broadhurst, and he said, you're the real winner. You're the real winner in this race. And it's not always about how fast we get there. There's all, we're all in this race together, and it is a race of endurance, I understand. But I'm thankful that we can finish this race, and we can finish it strong. And that's the encouragement that I give to us on this snowy, cold Sunday morning. We can be overcomers. Amen? We can make it if we continue in the race. Well, he goes on to say in this, in, this, in this verse, we have an author. We have an author of the race. He said, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who 
for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The, the New American Standard Version translates this beautifully, and it, and it translated as fixing our eyes on Jesus. We can only run the race as we look to Jesus and have our eyes locked on him. He is our focus. He's our inspiration. He's our example. Of course, Scripture tells us he endured the cross. The writer suggests here that, that enduring the cross, Jesus looked beyond the cruelty. He looked beyond the shame of crucifixion to the joy of completing his plan of salvation for we, the crown jewel of his creation. So he endured the cross. He endured shame. Shame, obviously, is, is very significant um, and a very significant trial to many. In fact, Daniel says in Daniel chapter 12, too, um, that shame will be an aspect of the terrors of hell. He said, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus bore this hellish shame to accomplish our redemption at Calvary. And shame can be a stumbling block to many. Many will do just about anything for Jesus except for endure the shame and embarrassment uh, that comes in some, in some instances with being a Christian or being a believer. In fact, Spurgeon spoke boldly to that, um, to those who could not bear the shame that, that comes from, um, um, from the world for following Jesus. He said, yet you are a coward. Yes, put it down in English, he said, you're a coward. If anybody called you so, you would turn red in the face. What a shameful thing it is that while you are bold about everything else, you are cowardly about Jesus Christ. He said, brave for the world and cowardly towards Christ. He went on to say, he said, I heard of a prayer the other day, which I did not quite like at first, but there is something in it after all. He said, the man said, Lord, if our hearts are hard, make them soft. But if our hearts are too soft, make them hard. And he said, I knew what he, what he meant. And I think I can pray that last prayer for some of my friends who are so delicate that a sneer would kill them. I don't think he was talking about making our hearts hard towards Christ and towards the things of God, but that, that those that make fun of us and make fun of our faith, that, that, we don't, that, that we don't back away in shame of the cross of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done in our lives. Well, as I conclude this morning, the Hebrew author went on to say, he is the perfecter or he is the finisher of our faith. Paul said in Philippians, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Not only did he finish it, he perfected it. He was the author and the perfecter of our faith. He set an example of holiness and sinlessness as a human to show us that it can be done. Aren't you thankful this morning that it can be done through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in every believer's lives? And so let's make it. It's a race. We're in it together. Let's be reminded of that, that we're here to encourage one another, to cheer one another on, be reminded that those, those people, um, uh, those possibly people that we look at in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the faith chapter, these great people of faith are, are either watching us 
but most likely have already set the example for us. They made it. We can make it too. Amen. I'm glad of that. Take work. There, yes, no question. Uh, there's, there's discipline that goes into the Christian life. We've talked about that quite often. I pray you're putting in the, the proper work and exercise into living a holy, obedient life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll be worth it one day when we all make it in. Amen? When we cross the finish line, and, we can, and, and, and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day. I want to I be a part of, of the overcomers. I want to make it. I want you to make it. And may 2024 year, this year be a, 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 a spiritual exercise in enduring by faith and walking with Christ on a daily basis. Let's stand together and be dismissed. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Pray, Father, that <clears throat> it will encourage us and it will help us to make it, to be overcomers. And, Lord, to endure the hardships that come with, um, with living um, just in a fallen world. And we know, Lord, that you'll help us to be an overcomer. So go with us. Keep your hand upon us. And bring us back tonight, Lord, as we again concentrate on, on the importance of prayer and, and the life of the believer and the life of the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, statements are on the table, so if you pick those up. And there's some of you that have like a pile of Christmas cards back there. Potters. I see potters all over it. So um, I see Andrew and Caitlin are here again today, so I know theirs is back there. So I think it's, I think it's pretty much our family that didn't pick them up.